Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It's a familiar scripture. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being just a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to make Mary as to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to, fill what the, to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I've come to remind you this morning that God is with us. The title of my message today is The Fulfillment of Dunamis, God with us. Let's bow our heads and pray today. Father, we're so thankful for your sweet presence. Jesus, we're thankful that for almost two years you have met us in this tent. That even when there's rain running down the aisles and when it's hot, when it's cold, when it's in between, your beautiful presence has met us here. And Lord, we are grateful this morning that we have the opportunity to enter into your presence, to boldly enter the throne room of God. And Lord Jesus, we ask for you to rest in this place. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying and eyes to see what your Spirit is doing. Lord, I thank you that nobody came to hear me, but we all came to hear you. So we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to recap this morning the word of the year over this house. I know that it's December the 24th. We're at the end of the year. But the prophetic word over Mercy Culture Church and the prophetic word over your family, if you're a part of this house, is that this is the year of dunamis. This is the year that God has strengthened and fortified us. How many have felt it? My son was saying I think it was yesterday. He said, I remember when I first heard the word of the year. He said, I was thinking, well, well, that kind of stinks. You know, the year before that, it was expanding territory. And then we started talking about strengthening and fortifying. And he was like, that doesn't sound fun. But he said, man, it's been such an amazing year where the spirit of the Lord has strengthened and fortified us in every way. This is the year that the dunamis power of the Holy Spirit goes from on us to in us. It's in Acts chapter 2 three and four year. It is the infilling of the Holy Spirit is how dunamis goes from on you to in you. I want to just recap our story of dunamis as Mercy Culture Waco this year. We have been strengthened and fortified in 2023. The first part of the year, January through April, in January, the prophetic word of dunamis was released over this house. We learned the value of stewardship. We learned, we, we entered into a series of strengthening and fortifying the foundations of our faith. I preached a message on carrying the presence of God. 
The prophetic words over our house was that we'd be strengthened by reading and memorizing the word. That we would have guerrilla warfare prayer this year. That joy would be our weapon in 2023. I released the word that this would be the year that we will do more with less. I've got a question for you. Did you steward the prophetic words over this house and over your house for this year? This is not meant to shame you or to make you feel upset or sad if you didn't steward the word. Because I believe that the Lord has spoken that it is not too late to steward these words. And he took me to Matthew chapter 20. Verse 10 through 16, it is a parable that Jesus gives, and he says this. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, and you have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to you or to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first shall be last. This parable is just, he te Jesus tells the story of a man who went out to gather workers and some of the workers had worked all day for one denarius and at the end of the day, he went and got a few more workers who worked but one hour and Jesus gave them the same pay or the man in the story gave them the same pay as those that had worked all day. And what I felt the way that this was applicable to us this morning is that even if in the last moments of this year, you say, pastor, I want to steward the word of dunamis over my house. It's not too late. It is not too late for you to be strengthened and fortified this year. In January, we had 40 days of prayer and fasting. The first week of the year, we gave to the Lord every night of the week in solemn assembly where we gathered together in prayer and worship. We had our Citizens for Life event in Dallas where we celebrated the overturning of Roe versus Wade. In February, we were, we were strengthened and fortified in our marriages. On Vision Sunday, we announced two big visions for Mercy Culture. One was that we would launch the Spiritual Leadership School right here in Waco, and we did. We currently have 15 Spiritual Leadership School students full-time here in Waco. We're thankful for them. We announced the beginning of the Mercy Culture Waco Food Bank. Yes, and in this year, we, felt we have fed thousands and thousands of people, and we've seen dozens of people give their life to Jesus. We've seen people be saved and healed and delivered as we fed them this year. In March, we had our Heart for Mercy offering. I preached a message on the joy of giving, and this is something I haven't shared with you guys yet. But our goal for Heart for Mercy this year was $75,000. And we were believing God that that's how much we would raise to put towards this property. The purchase of our property and the remodel of this building is a $7 million project. Yeah, some of you went gulp. Yeah. Our goal was to raise $75,000 to go towards that. And as of last week, we have raised for Heart for Mercy $318,400. And $33. Come on. 
Family, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. We're so thankful for your generosity. We learned about joy-based warfare, that joy is experienced in the pleasure of the Lord. We heard a message on repentance. We learned that the Bible is the word of God, the most historically and scientifically accurate book in human history. In April, we learned about the joy of salvation, the return of Christ and eschatology. We learned about dunamis through obedience from Pastor Nikki, and we celebrated one year in Waco, Texas. The next part of the year in May through August, May was a big month. We were strengthened by learning about marriage and gender and sexuality. We had the Marked Women's Conference. Senate Bill 14 was passed in the State House. It's a bill that we fought for that banned the gender mutilation of minors in the state of Texas. We learned about the seven spirits of God. In June, we learned about strange fire. I preached two messages that were seminal for our house, the house of glory and stolen glory. In July, we entered into the summer of prayer. We launched morning prayer at 6.30 on Wednesday mornings right here in the tent. You guys have been so faithful to come and pray together. We had multiple opportunities of 24-hour prayer. We had guerrilla warfare prayer in different locations all around the city. We had the unshakable message that was delivered. In August, we started our series on the full armor of God that went all the way through the end of the year. We had our presbytery service and family anointing service. In, I'm getting tired. September through December. In September, we continued the full armor of God. Small groups launched. We had MC conference. You saw just a clip of that when young Shiloh, a little boy in our church in Fort Worth, could not walk. He has a disease and he could not stand up to walk. And we prayed for him one night of conference and he wasn't healed that night. And we continued to pray. And the next morning at service, he came running in the back door, completely healed. Just a few weeks ago, a group of us went to Six Flags, a holiday in the park, and Shiloh and his little family was there. And Shiloh never stopped running. God still does miracles. In October, we confronted witchcraft in the city of Waco. The city of Waco, the official page, the city of Waco endorsed and promoted a store, a witchcraft location right here in Waco, a store that invites you to come to their altar and cast spells on your family or other people. And our city used taxpayer money to send a, a video crew to interview them and promote that store and encourage people to shop there. And we were not silent. We were asked to be silent. We were told to be silent, but we weren't silent. A week after calling attention to that, our mayor announced that he would not be seeking re-election this next season. And so we're praying for a righteous man or woman of God to rise up that will not just say, I'm a Christian but that will stand up for righteousness and holiness in the city of Waco and throughout Central Texas, that will, that will stand in their Christianity when it matters the most. I also found out just a couple of weeks ago that that particular store parted ways with the witch that was one of the owners of the store and has driven witchcraft out of that store because of the blowback that they got. Come on. 
The week after we confronted witchcraft in our city, our worship team showed up on a Thursday night for rehearsal and someone had set up an altar outside of our tent and sacrificed a pig. Who cares? This is Texas. We love pork. And the blood of a pig has nothing compared to the blood of Jesus that covers this place. In October, there was a pro-Hamas group. About 150 people were part of this group of socialists in our city. And they planned a pro-Hamas rally. We called it out for what it is, evil and vile, and said not in our city. Not only was the rally canceled, but the entire group disbanded after us calling attention to it. (laughs) Permanently. We had our serve team impartation dinner and we had justice run where we ran a marathon to raise money to stop human trafficking. In November, we continue the Full Armor of God series. We learned about the power of reverence and we had 40 days of men's prayer and fasting and thanksgiving where the men of mercy culture walked around this property every day for 40 days praying for reverence praying that we would be strengthened and fortified. And in December, we learned about strengthening our faith and continued the 40 days of men's prayer and thanksgiving. We've been contending all year for that building. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. You know, you hear these stories in construction, they're like, that never happens. It's like once in a lifetime. That's happened like five times. But we've still contended and we're so close and we will not give up. We won't lose our joy at the finish line. We've been contending for the prophetic word that was given by Pastor Matt Wakefield, a prophet of this house, on December 22nd of last year. He said this, Mercy Culture Waco, you will go from a tent of meeting to a house of glory. I want us to go back to our story in Matthew chapter 1. This is a story that is familiar to so many of us. This is when Gabriel announced to Joseph the birth of Jesus. We've all talked about how confusing it must have been for Joseph, for his fiance to come to him and say, honey, I'm, I'm expecting a child. He said, excuse me, I beg your pardon. And Joseph, the Bible says, was an honorable man, and he was going to quietly divorce Mary, he was going to move on quietly so as not to shame her. And an angel appeared before Joseph and he announced the birth of Jesus. And for many of us, we think that this is where the Christmas story began. That these few chapters in the Gospels, this is where the story of Jesus began. But the story of Jesus, the Christmas story, really began long before that. You see, these events were prophesied by Isaiah In the year 740 B.C., more than 700 years before the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary and Joseph. It was the year that Uzziah, the king of Judah, died. We see it in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The prophecy was given, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. We see Isaiah continue the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, where he says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. And the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. At this time, Israel had split into two kingdoms. There was Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Isaiah prophesied these prophecies in Jerusalem, the capital of Judah. And he was reminding the people of God a promise that the Lord had made to King David many years before, in, uh, before the kingdom of Israel had splintered. We see it in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. God told David, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. You see, 700 years had passed between the promises given by God through, through Isaiah to the fulfillment of that promise when Gabriel announced the birth of Jesus. You must understand when we read the Gospels, that the children of Israel were very familiar with this story. When an angel appeared to Mary and said, you, a virgin, are going to give birth to a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. You will call him Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is God with us. This is what the children of Israel had been praying and believing for. What they'd been holding on to this prophecy for more than 700 years. Every year at Passover, they would set a place for the Messiah to come back. They would, they would open the door waiting for him to return. They'd been praying and believing and holding on to the prophecies of Isaiah. Believing for the Messiah to come. And here are angels declaring the thing you've been praying and asking God for is finally here. It sheds new light on what, the, on what the shepherds must have been thinking in the field. We see in Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 8, the angels appear to these shepherds. And it says, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. And that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, these shepherds and all of the children of God at that time were part of what was known as a sacrificial system. Every time they sinned, every new season, they had to take sacrifices to the house of the Lord. These sacrifices had to be completely free of blemishes. It was very complicated. It was a complex system. You ever read Leviticus? It's a complex system. It was not only complicated, but it was time-consuming and it was costly. It cost a lot of money to sacrifice these livestock 
It costs a lot of time and energy to find blameless and blemishless animals to sacrifice before the Lord. There were five types of sacrifices at that time. The first was burnt offerings that we see in Leviticus chapter 1. The burnt offerings symbolized the worshiper's love and dedication to God freely given. Burnt offerings could be from the herd, meaning oxen, or flock, meaning sheep or goats, or they could be turtle doves or young pigeons. There were different procedures for this burnt offering, but one thing remained the same. It always had to be completely consumed by fire. The second type of sacrifice was grain offerings that we see in Leviticus 2. It was always added to the burnt offering as a sign of additional devotion. It included flour and oil, frankincense and salt. The third were peace offerings in Leviticus 3 verse 16. If this was an offering for peace, it was ox, sheep, or goat that were offered after the burnt offerings. The fourth type were sin offerings we see in Leviticus 4. These sin offerings were intended to cover our sin in general as an acknowledgement that we are sinful beings. And the fifth was a trespass offering we see described in Leviticus chapter 5. And this is an offering specifically for when people broke specific sins. When they went against God's commandments or did something harmful to another person. See, we as Western Christians, we don't always understand what the people of God were dealing with and the system that they were involved in when the announcement of the Messiah was made. There were 613 laws in the Old Testament. But outside of those 613 laws, there are thousands of what are called fence laws that were written by the rabbis to protect people from breaking one of the 613 laws. Because what they knew is that if you even accidentally broke one of the laws, you could not even pray. You couldn't ask God for anything. You had to bring a sacrifice to atone for one of the laws that you broke. So there was this complex system of thousands of fence laws, a system that their entire lives were built around this sacrificial system. When the seasons changed, they had to go to the temple and make sacrifices. When they got married, when they had children, when they were ready to plant the seed for their harvest, when they were ready to reap the harvest time, when, when it was a holiday, when they made a mistake, when they didn't make a mistake. Their lives were built around raising these animals and then choosing the blemishless animals and then making the trip and bringing the sacrifice to the temple of God just so that on select days every now and then someone else would be covered enough by their sacrifices to enter the presence of the Lord for a few moments and make prayer on their behalf. You see, when we read through those five types of sacrifices, we as Western Christians, we often think that the sacrifices they made were simply to cover their sins. As if that would be enough, that, that's arduous enough just to make sacrifices to cover their sins. But when we look at these five types of sacrifices, only two of them had anything to do with sin. 
You see, the children of God had to make sacrifice just to enter the presence of the Lord. They had to make sacrifices just so that somebody else could pray for them. It wasn't only to cover their sin. It was just that maybe somebody could have a glimpse of the presence of God. Maybe someone could get a moment to petition God on their behalf. They had to make these sacrifices over and over and over so that there could be glimpses and moments of dunamis power. You see, to feel the presence of the Lord was a foreign concept for most people at this time. That's why this story of Elizabeth was so shocking. We see in Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. Mary goes to visit her and Elizabeth, in her older age, is carrying John the Baptist, the one who will pave the way for the Messiah to come. In verse 41, it says, And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped within her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with what? The Holy Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with dunamis power. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Worship team, if you would come up. At the beginning of this year, we prophesied that this year of dunamis is when the power of God would go from on us to in us. We prophesied that this is when the dunamis power would no longer just be something that we heard about, but it would go from on us to in us, just like this dunamis power went from something that Elizabeth heard about. She talked about priests and rabbis told her what it was like, those glimpses and moments that they were able to enter into the holy of holies. It it went from something that was discussed, from something that came alive on the inside of her. You see, the story of the birth of Jesus is not the story about a weak baby. No, it is the fulfillment of God with us and dunamis in us. What was this message of the manger? The message of the manger is that dunamis is now with you. That dunamis can now be in you. I want us to understand the power of the story of the birth of Jesus. To understand the gift that we have. You know, we talk a lot about Jesus being the price that was paid so that we could receive eternal life, and he is, and he was. And I'm so grateful that he laid down his life for you and for me. I'm so thankful that he died and rose again for our sins, that he paved a way that we could enter into heaven, but family, That's not all Jesus did. The birth of Jesus means that you don't have to hear about the power of the Lord. 
The birth of Jesus means that we don't just have to hear stories about other people that enter into the presence of the Lord. The birth of Jesus means that he has made a way for you and for me to encounter his presence every single day. Now, I said it at the beginning of this message. We've been stewarding the prophetic word that we would go from a tent of meeting to a house of glory. As I was in prayer for this message this week, the Lord showed me that's what Jesus did through his birth. Jesus took the children of the Lord from having to make sacrifices so that they could send somebody into the tent of meeting and have these temporary, these momentary meetings with the Lord. We've sacrificed, we've, we've given up these animals so that you could go into that tent of meeting and you could have a moment with God and maybe he'll hear your prayer and maybe we've sacrificed enough and then you can come out and you can tell us about it. We see this in Exodus. The Bible says that the children of God would stand at the doorway of their tent and they would watch Moses go into the tent of meeting. They would watch the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night descend upon that tent. And they would watch Moses enter into the presence and they would wait with bated breath. What's Moses going to tell us about the Lord? What's Moses going to share with us that God is speaking Maybe we can catch a glimpse of God's glory on Moses' faith. And maybe, maybe we've sacrificed enough that the presence of God will be in that tent of meeting. But then Jesus came and changed everything. Then Emmanuel came. Not just a baby in a manger, but the Bible says he is God with us. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. This baby took us, took the people of God from a tent of meeting to where the very God of the universe that used to come down at momentary times and dwell in that tent now dwells within you and within me. I felt in my spirit that some of you have had a hard time entering the presence of the Lord. Ah. That even as you've leaned in this year to daily encounters, you've said to yourself and maybe you've said to others, I just don't feel God's presence and I'm having a difficult time entering the presence of the Lord. But I felt like the Lord said, he's going to give you a revelation of the identity of Jesus. Family, I want you to listen and listen closely. Nobody looking around, nobody looking around. 2024, you're gonna take dunamis with you. As we enter into 2024, you're not leaving dunamis in 2023, you're gonna take dunamis with you. And dunamis is Jesus. If we want to be a house of glory, we have to have a new revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus is Emmanuel. Jesus is God with us.
Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, Jesus is the way to the presence of God. So just posture your hearts to receive. If you all would, just stand to your feet. We're going to prepare to receive communion in a moment. Babe, if you would, join me on the stage. Just posture your hearts to receive. Open your hands. Father, I pray this morning that you would give us a new revelation of Jesus. I pray this morning that you would give us a new revelation of Jesus. Come on, ask him. Lord, I pray that you would show us that you would you would shatter our preconceived ideas and notions of what Christmas means, Lord, that it's not just a day to give and to receive gifts. While that is a beautiful thing, God, I pray that you would give us a new reverence of what it means. Lord Jesus, that when you were born into this earth, you became God with us. You removed every obstacle and every barrier between us and your presence. We no longer had to live under the sacrificial system where we spent our lives working and striving to make a sacrifice so that somebody else could have a moment in your presence. But Lord, the birth of Jesus means that dunamis is within us. The birth of Jesus means that we can boldly enter the throne room of God and make our petitions known. The birth of Jesus means that every day we can encounter you. The birth of Jesus means that the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives on the inside of us. God, give us a revelation of Jesus. Give us a revelation of Emmanuel, God within us. Lord, I pray that you would baptize your people with glorious encounters in your presence. Lord, I pray that the last week of this year, they would be strengthened and fortified with glorious, angelic encounters with the presence of the Lord. Show them that there is no sin that is greater. There is no mistake powerful enough. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus. There is nothing that can prevent us from entering the presence of the Lord when we have a revelation of Jesus. Give you a revelation of who he is. 
take a 